Now go. I think you are now ready. Ready to hear what happened 100 years ago. The words of guidance you have been hearing since your awakening from Princess Zelda and herself. Even now, as she works to restrain Ganon from within Hyrule Castle, she calls out for your help. And welcome to Comics to Console Crusade. This is the podcast where Pat and Joe and I come through my extensive yard sale acquired retro video game collection to discuss the best and worst of comic oriented video games. Today's featured game is. Silver Surfer for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Before we get started, let's meet the host of the show. We'll introduce one another and ask each other to describe Silver Surfer in three words. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Pat. Pat, if you would be so kind, give me the first three words that pop into your head when you think of Silver Surfer on the NES. Hard, explicitive word, game. (laughs) That's fair. That's three words, right? Yep. You got it. I did it. I did it. And now I'd like to introduce our on-staff musical genius, Joe November. Joe, how would you describe Silver Surfer using three words? Pat, you almost stole my thunder because I was going to use a very similar phrase, as the kids would say, hard as F. There you go. There you go. And now I'll turn the question on to my old friend, Jared Albrecht, a.k.a. Death Probe. Jared, please describe Silver Surfer using only three words. I'm at the And there you have it. Those are the words that come to mind for Silver Surfer. Mm. Uh, so let's throw it over to my main man, Joe November, to take a look at the specs of Silver Surfer in a segment we like to call All Your Specs Are Belong to Us. How are you, gentlemen? All your base are belong to us. You are on the way to destruction. Thanks, Jared. So this game was released in November of 1990. The publisher is Arcadia Systems. The developer is Software Creations. The game type is a scrolling shooter, and it's a one-player game. Now back to Jared, where he will use his yard sale to eBay skills for a segment we call Cash Memory. All right, Joe, I have done my homework. And I have, you know what, before I even go into that, you said the developer was Software Creation. That is the most generic name I've ever heard <laughs> <laughs> for a video game company. It's like, hey, what do you think we do here? Is it <laughs> what the company does? Mm, I don't know. We're just software create. We're just creating software or something. <laughs> yeah, that'd be like where I work at USA. They just rename themselves Insurance Company. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I work at Insurance Company. <laughs> oh, anyways, let me do my eBay thing. Silver Surfer, for all of its difficulties that we'll get into later, 
it's a pretty good selling game. If you have it just loose, you know, just kind of laying around cart only, chances are you'll get $25 or $30 for it. If you have it complete with its original box, manual, all that stuff, you're looking at $125 to $150. And factory sealed, it was hard to find information on that because they come up so very, very, very rarely. But my research shows probably anywhere from $1 to $2,000 for a factory sealed copy. Wow. That's right. And now that we've got all that pertinent info hashed out, let's take a quick podcast break and come back to talk about the gameplay of Silver Surfer. Did you leave the car running, Andy? I did. I'm not sure why, but I did. It, it, it's important. Like getting these comics from Ryan and Chris's Nightcast offices. Why are we getting these comics from Ryan and Chris? So, since Nightcast isn't covering what they originally set out to cover, I thought it would be fun to talk about the Jim Starlin run of Batman. So, we're getting the comics from them to do that. And, and they know that we're doing this? What, that we're covering Batman issues 414 to 430? Yeah, totally. I, I checked in with them and everything. So you got permission to get these comics, which includes the storylines, Ten Knights of the Beast, The Cult, and The Death in the Family. I totally told them we were covering these books, yes. And we're starting these episodes in May. That is, if you actually edit them on time. <sighs> yeah, Andy. The, the series starts in May and can be found on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and at www.fortressofbailey2.com. Busting my balls and everything. All right, right, right. let's let's hurry up. There are listeners that want to hear this, and I have to get back to Atlanta in 28 hours so I can get my flight home. No problem. I got the comics right here. What's going on here? Andy? Mike? What are you doing here? Why do you have our comics? Say, Mike? Yes, Andy? We didn't get permission to take these comics, did we? No, Andy. And when you told me to get the box out of the car, you were really picking the lock to get in here? Yes, Andy. So what do we do now? Well, uh, we could try to talk our way out of this, but when I tell you to run, run! The Overlooked Dark Knight covers the Jim Starlin Batman run, a multi-part series of episodes beginning in May of 2020. From the grisly dumpster killings, to a death in the family, and everything in between. The Overlooked Dark Knight is part of the Fortress of Bailitude podcasting network, located at www.fortressofbailitude.com. The show is also available on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, and Spotify. Welcome back for the break. We hope you enjoyed that promo from our friend of the show. Now let's get back to the gaming experience of Silver Surfer. We will discuss the game in the following categories. Graphics, game design, enjoyability, favorite thing, and least favorite thing about the game. I have a suspicion we're all going to have the least favorite thing going to be the same. Then we'll wrap it all up on the game with our final verdicts and rate the game on a scale of 1 to 10. So let's get to it. Graphics. What'd you think of those graphics, Joe November? In order to answer this question, I would have to make sure I take my hats and go back to the 90s so that I'm looking at how does that compare to other games from that time. I would give it a solid seven just because, you know, it it utilizes the comic book lore from Silver Surfer, the enemies from there. If you're into the comics, you know who those enemies are. You know who Silver Surfer is. You know who Galactus is. From a graphics design standpoint, you just have a lot of, you know, it's like a Galactic, what is it, Galactus? No, Gradius. I'm thinking of that game. Yeah. That's another shooter that's, that's very similar gameplay to that. 
you know, lots of things flying around the screen and things like that. So it's, it's pretty cool. So I give it, I give it that score. That's fair enough, Joe. Um, Pat, your thought on the graphics of 1990s Silver Surfer on the NES? Like Joe, too, I had to go back and put my mindset in that 90s because you're, you're looking at, what, this a 16-bit game? Eight. Or 8-bit game? Okay, see, I was comparing it to a 16-bit game. So 8-bit game towards the end of probably the 8-bit era, so they were really pushing the limits on this one mm-hmm. uh, with what they could do. So I think it turned out decent enough graphic-wise. I mean, you can definitely tell you're playing the Silver Surfer Mm-hmm. whether you're playing the scroll or you're playing the top down how they did it and we'll get to that in the game design but i think it was pretty doable uh you can definitely tell on the cutscenes, silver surfer and galactus and then some of the other uh, levels that you had to go through i didn't really know who some of the silver surfer villains are besides one person that i noticed in it and we can talk about that later on in the game because it's actually might be one of my favorite things about it. So mm. with that, we'll go to you, Jared. What's your thoughts on the graphics? I like them a lot, but when I think about it, it reminds me of another game we've done on the show, which was the Batman movie game on NES. Okay. Um, I think the graphics during gameplay are, are decent. Like you said, side scroll, top down, they're all decent. But where it really shines is the cutscenes, like the intro screen and the cutscenes. Like you can tell they put a lot of time to get those comic book right and the colors look good. They really look like they just pulled panels right out of the comics. I was really like, whoa, these are really nice. You know, cutscene. Mm-hmm. The, the in-game graphics are decent. I mean, it's 8-bit, like you said. Yeah. But the, yeah. I was I was definitely feeling the same way I did about Batman with those cutscene graphics. So mm-hmm. I, I'm going to I'm gonna say I'd probably give it about an 8. Not bad. So you started out strong, Silver Surfer. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's continue into game design. And Joe made a comment earlier that it kind of has that sort of Gradius or Life Force feel to it, uh, mm-hmm. overall design. So um, any further thoughts on the design, Joe? And what would you give it on a scale of one to two? Can you give negative numbers? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but, Joe, the, it was like Gradius or Life Force. <laughs> yeah, in, in spirit. <laughs> <laughs> but holy moly, the actual game design. Why can you not touch the floor? <laughs> Why can you not touch the sides? <laughs> you yes. can't touch How anything. You, you can't touch anything. And then you look like there's something that you might be able to go over. Nope, you can't touch that either. <laughs> very, very poor game design as far as that was concerned. The stages were great as far as, you know, defeating the different baddies of Silver Surfer, but how they design how you actually play the game, mm, nope. <laughs> so one for even trying <laughs> i understand i understand thoughts on that pat uh you know what i think joe's definitely right the positive that i thought about the game design was i liked how it switched when you went to the different sections they called it one was either a side scroller or you're doing the top down the flying shooting kind of a, a thing and I thought that was kind of at least cool that you'd switch it up. It wasn't always the same. Like, you know, this level I'm doing this, this level I'm doing that. They kind of switched it as you went, progressed through the different five or six stages that were happening or that you had to go through. So I'll give them some effort on that. But then you made it so hard, like Joe said, is what can I touch? What can I touch? You know, and I'm in the surfer and I got my guy and I can only fit 
between this much and can I touch that ceiling? Can I not touch that statue? Can, what, what, what? I don't know. <laughs> you know, and that especially made it harder when you're playing the top-down view because you didn't know if it was land or something. Can I touch that? Can I fly over that? I, I don't know. Very, very frustrating. I give them an A and a 10% if they were just saying, we're going to make this the hardest effing game there is out there. <laughs> the mission accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. Then, hey. You did you our know, job. You did your job because this thing is hard. And I gave up. I had to go find a playthrough to watch it all just to see what would happen. Watching this person play this game for 40 minutes from start to finish it was a precise thing where it was this move here, this move there. I'm going to let this stuff flow by me. So even with that, the game wasn't super active where it was just, oh, I just got to dodge that, that mm. enemy or whatever it is because it's just going to shoot or it's just going to fly by me. It's not going to move to try to get me. If I move, you know, I'm fine. I, you know, It's finding those safe zones to make sure you're in because if you're not in that safe zone at the right time, you either get hit by something or you're going to touch the edges and then you're dead anyway. Yeah, so. it's like reminiscent of those old Atari games where kids would just like memorize the patterns. Yes. And you're, mm-hmm. and you're basically watching a 40-minute play video of someone who's just memorized 40 minutes of where, where to exactly be. Yeah. to be. And just hitting that hitting that A button. <laughs> like, blah, 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 you know, you're constantly shooting at it on that A button too. It's like, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I was forced to give them a 1 to 10 on game design too, I'd have to go with Joe. I'd have to give it a 1 just because it's unplayable. I mean, unless you want to be level memorization guy, it's an unplayable game. But I also like Pat's take. Like, if their goal is to make the hardest game ever, then it's a 10. Because yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I want to know. What was the goal on this thing? It is so flipping difficult, which is going to roll nicely yeah. into our third category, which is enjoyability. Not a ton. What do you think, Joe? No, I'm actually going to increase the score to like a three for the enjoyability, merely because of the music. Oh, we will talk about that. Yeah, the music is top, top notch, and I'll definitely get into that. But beyond that, no. Uh, (laughs) Software Creations Corporate, you guys messed up. (laughs) Video Game Makers uh, Incorporated, whatever they're... (laughs) Maybe maybe that's why they just kept it generic like that. Like, you know, I was either part of it or I wasn't a part of it. We'll see how the game turns out at the end. Pat, your enjoyability on this, any different from Joe's? No. It's a crazy hard game, but the music, again, as Joe mentioned, and we'll get into that, well, it was decent music in it. I think it made it more enjoyable listening through it. And then watching it through a gameplay, somebody played the thing through, I got to hear you know, the, all the tracks go through. So definitely that's where the enjoyability comes from. Agree wholeheartedly. Well, we're just going to echo Joe across the board. <laughs> I mean, I have it. Like I literally have the the cartridge. I have the Nintendo. I put it in. I hooked it up to my twenty seven inch CRT mm-hmm. tube television, like old school. And I was like, I'm gonna play some Silver Surfer. And like, if it was a movie, there would have been like a card that came out that said two point five minutes later. And I'm just like, bleep this, <laughs> f that, no, screw this game. And I I knew it was kind of famous for being difficult, but I I didn't get sixty seconds into the <laughs> into the <laughs> I mean, I just kept dying and dying. I was like, you get. I'm like. I knew it was notably hard, but I didn't realize how notably hard. So, yeah. Yeah, that enjoyability, uh, aside from music, which we will get to, we're, that's probably the most exciting thing that we're going to do. So, um, Did you find the game somewhere? Oh, it's been in my it collection or? for years. You know me, yard sale guy. Yeah. I, I picked okay, it up so at yard it. sale somewhere over the last 20 years. You okay. Know, I've been collecting the NES library 
strictly through yard sale for oh, 22 wow. years now. Uh, I think they made 700 and some odd, almost 800 games on it. And I have found over the last 22 years about 450. Ooh, wow. Um, so, but it's in my library. Yeah. And it worked. It booted up and played fine. And I was so hopeful because I was like, that title screen looked good. The select mm-hmm. screen looked good. I was like, ooh, this is a, they paid attention to cut. And then I pressed cut play. scenes. Yeah. But see, <laughs> then I pressed play and it was like, oh my God. <laughs> so I, not to cut a short or anything, but I, Time saving device. Favorite thing is our next category. The music. Are we all in agreement? Yeah. Music is great. <laughs> okay. Music was the best thing I'll, about this game. And the thing that I like too is Mephisto. That's a character that I knew. I don't know much about anything else, but I thought, you know, his design and that looked pretty good. Yeah. Music's going to be the favorite thing. Yeah. Mm. And behind that's going to be the cutscenes, the title cards, and that kind of stuff. Everything else can just go away. Yep. Uh, which leads us to our, our final category which is least favorite thing i think we mentioned that already yeah enjoyment yeah yeah again i don't mean to cut your show short but i i think all our listeners are picking up on a theme here it's just it's gameplay is just ruthless, <laughs> it's just yeah. ruthless. i had to play it on an, an emulator with cheat codes where i had infinite bombs and so I was just pressing that the entire time <laughs> just to get through the levels. And I still messed up because of the because you couldn't touch anything. Yeah. You still had to figure out how to maneuver through the game, even if the screen eliminated all the enemies. I, mm-hmm. I wish that our listeners could get the text that Pat and I got from Joe as he took that journey. He was texting <laughs> us like, I got an emulator. I got unlimited bombs. I'm going to, ah, oh, dang it. I'm still dead. <laughs> Why can't I get an invincibility code? <laughs> you know, I do have a game genie. I should have looked up to see if I could find some codes for, codes for it. Yeah. I played it now straight, with like the game genie. There is an invincibility code, but I couldn't get that on the emulator for some reason. Ah, oh, why didn't I think of that? Because I, I, like I said, I after about fifteen minutes, I was just like, okay, I'm done. I've played enough to do the podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Let's go yeah, watch yeah, a YouTube yeah. video. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Overall score for this game: one to ten. Five is your average game. It's okay. I rented it. It was kind of fun. That's a five. I got a funny feeling we're not breaking five on this one, gentlemen. Pat, I'll let you go first this time. What are you going to score this one? You know, I will score it a three. I'll be halfway between the one and the five on this one. Just because the graphic design was great. Like I said, if they were making this out to be a game that, hey, this is a game you can play for a long, long time and you're never going to beat it. But at least you're going to get some playability out of it. I think they took it way too far. (laughs) So it's a three. Fair. Joe? It's a two. I just basically took you know, the, the one score that I gave and the three score that I gave, it's just, yeah, it's not a great game <laughs> at all. It just, it, it checks a box for sure. Yeah. But uh, beyond that, it's more known for how frustrating it can make all the players more than just the game itself. Yeah, the more I think about it, you know, I guess I'll take advantage of being on a podcast with Joe November and give it a 2.5. Um, nice. it, 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 I'll split the difference between you and Pat. I'm with Joe. It, fundamentally, I'm with Joe. Like, it only deserves a 2 because of decent graphics that it had and a cool soundtrack. Other than that, it, it, it's just too hard. But I, I kind of bump it up 0.5 because it's Silver Surfer. And I'm a comic book guy, and I'm like, it's kind of cool that they made a Silver Surfer game. It would have been cooler if it was a playable game. But anyway, yeah, we're looking at two, two and a half, three from the crowd. 
And with that, it seems like we've forgotten something, and I know what it is. Let's throw it over to Joe November one more time. He's our on-staff musical genius, and he's going to talk about the music in a segment called Superconductor. One of the things that I've loved about the music of this game, uh, especially the level one background music, it's the absolute best. It's a very progressive rock, driving, stakes are kind of high type of game. And the song is long enough, so it doesn't repeat every 30 seconds. There's a ton of variation to it. And the technicality that the programmer, the composer used to create it, it's legendary to this day. The gentleman's name is Tim Folden. He was the composer for this game. He also composed uh, soundtracks for like Spider-Man, X-Men, Arcade's Revenge, the Arcade Ghouls and Ghosts, and Arcade Bionic Commando. And he's been doing some really, really cool stuff with that. But what he did fundamentally to create the music, it's groundbreaking. Um, oh, another fun fact. Tim was 19 years old when he created this, the music for this. Wow. Yeah. yeah. A 19-year-old oh. put that music together. That's insane. Obviously, the, the, the game over music was probably my least favorite. <laughs> but <laughs> so often. So often. Poor Silver Surfer just draping over his, his mm. board and, and defeat. But one of the things that was funny was when I was looking up the soundtrack on YouTube, because uh, you can find it all over YouTube, but the comments about how well Tim Fallon created this is, are just hilarious. One guy said, that poor sound chip, it just wanted to make beeps and boops. <laughs> Tim, Tim pushed that poor sound chip to the edge, didn't he? Another guy said, if you gave Tim Fallon an NES sound card and sent him back in time, he'd be the fifth Beatle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving these. Yeah. And then another one said, you know, this man is like the John Williams of video game music. Which is a high compliment. Yes, oh, no. sir. In fact, the, the particular background music one soundtrack that I men- mentioned earlier was voted number three on the top 100 NES tracks as voted by the shiz at bestnestracks.captaintortilla.com. I'm not making that up. (laughs) (laughs) Those are just words. You're looking around the room and like... (laughs) Captain and Tortilla. I'm making that up. Respectable, you know. Hey, it's better than software company. Yeah, software (laughs) creation. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But like I said, the entire soundtrack is, is on YouTube. Uh, you can even download the uh, .ogg files off the internet as well. There are not as many great remixes and renditions, but there are some. And most of them just kind of recreate that first background music level, you know, from a metal, progressive rock, lots of electric guitar and synth, aggressive type sound. So you hear a little bit of that. Do want to give a shout out to uh, an artist I found on Bandcamp. His name is Optimus Chad. And Optimus Chad put together a three-song remix EP on his Bandcamp dedicated to the Silver Surfer soundtrack. And you should go check it out. He's pretty cool. Oh, I will do my best to feature some of that in today's episode. Cool.
the music in this, when that opening game starts and the level happens, I do think you get that cosmic-y kind of vibe out of here, out of the music that I was hearing. I was like, oh yeah, this is Super Surfer kind of a, got that kind of cosmic-y kind of sound to it. I liked it. Yeah, yeah. Very, very good. It might just be the cover art, but I always kind of associate it with that Joe Satriani CD, Surfing with the Alien. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's got Silver Surfer pulled on the cover, and it's all this guitar work. It's a lot Mm -hmm. of fun. Uh, I don't know. I just associate the two. might just because of the Silver Surfer, though. I don't know. That's all for a Superconductor musical segment. Let's throw it over to Pat to lead us in a discussion on how well the game captures the essence of the comic book in a segment called Reformatted. All right. Well, for this section of Reformat It, how, how was it with the comic book on it? And I wasn't really Silver Surfer reader, so I'm really going to rely on Joe and Jared to see if they know anything more on this. Like I said, I did recognize some of the villains, so I didn't know the rest of them. So did the villains make sense? Were the ones that you went up on these different levels villains from silver surfer yes yes they were silver surfer villains um okay. so that connection is there i you know pat as you do this segment i haven't run a ton of silver surfer maybe a little bit here and there kind okay. of in that ron Lim era which is about the time this game came out because ron Lim was like cool pencils guy yeah. so i've dabbled a little bit but i'm no silver surfer expert so this is yeah. kind of be an interesting one for us i don't know about joe silver surfer no i i didn't no. read oh, silver okay. surfer at, at all i mean i was familiar with it later just you know, through the movies, and and then I did hear of Mephisto, but no, I didn't. Okay, I didn't read Silver Surfer. Yeah, I was kind of surprised then too on it. I did think the environments did kind of give you that Silver Surfery kind of vibe on it. You know, I really enjoyed his character in here. You when he's side scrolling, you can definitely, you know, he looks like he's really riding that that surfboard along. And then when you're top down, I thought that was really cool to do with him. That top down view of, you know, like he's flying and just, you know, that flight shooter airplane shooting kind of mode like that. I I really enjoyed that. But, you know, my silver surfer knowledge is maybe a couple of tie-ins from infinity gauntlet. Right. And that's about it. I don't know very much more about silver surfer. So it's a blind spot for me. How did you guys feel besides, uh, or with the cutscenes? You, Jared, you mentioned that a lot with the different cutscenes oh, yeah, that were great. in it. Those are spot on. I mean, yeah. those, you could tell that the game designers at Software Game Makers, whatever they're called, <laughs> they, <laughs> they had comics in the office because, I mean, the fonts were right, the characters mm-hmm. looked right, the colors were right. So, they, yeah, I mentioned that before. They were right on with that. So, yeah. as far as that comic to console comparison, yeah, definitely. Now, one thing I did want to mention, I, I totally forgot about this, but when you beat a level, the image that shows up when you're like victory, the way that he's standing, how they pose Silver Surfer on there and the angle they put it in, I got like old man from a gym vibes that doesn't want to wear his towel. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yeah, he's thrusting you all this stuff in there. He's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was a very, very 
stark image of mm. Silver Surfer. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a victory screen while I was playing. <laughs> <laughs> you only saw the defeat one where he's like, yeah, the set where he's yeah, all slumped yeah, down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and they had that right. When you're strong and powerful like that, you're going to get that pose. When you don't, you're going to be defeated just like that. So, well, if anybody else is out there, since we're not Silver Server experts, if you got some thoughts about it, you know, go ahead and respond to us in the comments or send us a voicemail as well, too, and let us know what your thoughts are on how it does it compare to the comic. That voicemail number is 707-532-5269. That's 707-532-LBOX, which I can say in my sleep now. <laughs> Pick up the phone. Pick up the phone. All right. Now that we've got the comic to the game comparison all figured out somewhat, let's go ahead and take another quick podcast promo break. When we come back, we'll talk about our memories of this game and bring the show home. <laughs> Monthly, monthly, monthly. It's Action Film Face Off. Hello, I'm Jason the Weasel Skull Albrick, and I'd like to tell you about a podcast I do with my brother, Jared Albrick, the yard sale artist. Action Film Face Off. Yes, thank you, Jared. Action Film Face-Off is a podcast where my brother and I, who are both military combat vets... Jason was a Navy SEAL! Jason was not a Navy SEAL. Jason was a military intelligence weenie. But anyway, in each episode of Action Film Face-Off, we select two different action films. Some of them have Chuck Norris! Technically speaking, none of them have had Chuck Norris yet, but it could happen because we use a randomizer set between 1970 and modern day to select our two films. So you'll always get two films, each from a different year. Our randomizer has spikes on it. We use a Google random number generator, so it does not have spikes on it. And we put the films into our video dome arena. It also has spikes. It does not have spikes. But we discuss the films and score them through six different rounds of criteria. I score Bond films very high. Okay, that's true. But anyway, by the end of the episode, we crown one of the action films the champion of action film face-off. Next episode, Jason fights a bear. Jason is not fighting a bear, but please give our show a listen. We're part of the Longbox Crusade Network of Shows. Pat Samson killed a man with a sword once. I can neither confirm nor deny that statement. But you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and most podcatchers under Longbox Crusade, or you can subscribe to just our show by searching for Action Film Face-Off. Come see the blood fly! And that's Action Film Face-Off. We do, indeed, invite you to come and see the blood fly. I just said that! Welcome back to the show. Let's hop into our DeLorean, get it up to 88 miles per hour, and when we do, we're going to see some serious talk about our memories of this game and what was going on in our lives in the segment called Save Point. Back in the days when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore, but some days I sit and wish I was a kid again. Back in the days when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore. During Save Point discussion, we'll give you some context of the time that our featured game was released by discussing video game news of that time, 
what was playing at the movies, and what were some of the chart-topping songs. And then we'll wrap it all up with our personal memories surrounding Silver Surfer. So, here are the video game events and notable releases for November 1990. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles dominated the U.S. and U.K. arcade market. And I absolutely loved the arcade version of Turtles, the four-player, the combat. It was just a great, great, great arcade game that was be seared in my memory forever and ever. I loved that game. I have the arcade one-up re-release of it out there in my man cave building, the four-player. And I tell you what, there's something about that game, because to this day, my seven-year-old, that building, the first thing yeah. he wants to do is play that Turtles game. That other game, though, I mean, I know we talked about it before, though, that other original Turtle game on the NES. Man, was that one hard, too. That was hard, too. <laughs> yeah, that's up there. Not the not the fighting one, but that one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the, the yeah. original one. The original yeah. one. That one, Battletoads and Silver Surfer are <laughs> kind of like top five <laughs> hardest games in the, on the NES. Well, back to video game news of September 1990. This is more like 1990 overall. The Nintendo Game Boy was the best-selling system of all video game systems in the year of 1990. The Game Boys were just flying off the shelf. Mm -hmm. They definitely were. Thanks, Tetris. (laughs) (laughs) And, oh, man, how many batteries did you have to put in that freaking thing? Uh, (laughs) I I can't even remember. I know it was a a lot lot of them. Oh, man. Also coming out in this time was Super Mario Brothers 3. It was the best-selling NES game. Ooh. Yeah, everybody got that game. Yeah. Yeah. A fun game. Thanks, wizard. (laughs) (laughs) So bad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it looks like Joe gets to bring us home with another cool event. So the Super Nintendo was released in Japan towards the end of 1990, but the U.S. didn't get it until the following summer. I remember when they talked about the, the Super Nintendo, the Super Famicom, mm-hmm. uh, really just for people who only knew about what was going on in the U.S., it lets you know that, you know, the U.S. is not the center of the universe when it comes to video games or any kind of cool animation, you know, Japanese animation type thing. It always started in Japan first. And so that was real indication of all the cool stuff usually started in Japan before it hit the U.S. Mm-hmm. And that was just another indication of it. But once Super Nintendo hit the U.S., oh, man, it was off and running. Definitely. All right. And here are the top three grossing films of the time. Coming in at number three was Three Men and a Little Lady. I believe this is a sequel to... Two, mm-hmm. three men and a little baby. Mm-hmm. The baby becomes a lady. You see. <laughs> Don't give away the plot. Pat. Oh, oh. <laughs> spoiler alert! I actually saw three men and a little lady on the big screen. Wow, nice. I do remember seeing it. I probably on HBO or Showtime, something like that. But did you see the ghost that was in? <laughs> yeah. Three men and a baby ghost. Yep. <laughs> Oh, my God. All right. Well, that brings us to number two at the box office in November of 1990 was the Kevin Costner classic, Dances with Wolves. Long movie. Long movie. <laughs> yeah, I think I only caught that on VHS. Same. After it came out. 
Yeah, I don't think I went to the theaters to see it, and mm-hmm. I would only watch it if it was for a date night or something like that. It was like, mm. yeah, or showing on like TBS or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, the uh, number one grossing film around that time was Home Alone. Kevin. Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's one I didn't I didn't get until VHS either. Oh, yeah, okay. anyway, I did see that one in the theater. Or maybe yeah. I saw it on syndication when it got on HBO. Christmas classic. Yeah, yeah definitely. For sure. All right, and here are the top three songs that were playing on our favorite pop radio stations during November 1990. Coming in at number three was Grooves in the Heart. Oh yeah, that's it. That was a great song. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> D-Light. How many E's were in D-Light? <laughs> Not enough. <laughs> oh man, let's get into number two. Is More Than Words Can Say by Alias. Yes. I need you now. Man, this is you know, this is the time I was DJing in high school at our high school dances after home football games, home basketball games, and that. So, you know, this was the top song that you would want to find your your girl at the time mm. and, and do a little slow dancing in the school gym. With I believe song. you. Mm-hmm. It's a segue. Nice. <laughs> And the number one song uh, around this time is Poison's Something to Believe In. Something to Believe In. That's the song I do remember. I didn't actually remember more than words. I thought it was like that. More than than words. I was thinking that song. That's what I thought it was too, but I cheated and I went and looked it up before we recorded. I was like, oh, it's that other song. (laughs) But I do recall Something to Believe In. Yeah. It's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, they were taking the high road, and mm-hmm. somebody else was taking the low road. <laughs> <laughs> See what you did there. Yes. <laughs> I love me some poison, so it's a good song. And let's finish this out with any standout personal memories surrounding today's featured game. Joe. So, November 1990. What I think of most is because I, I didn't read the comics, didn't really pay attention. I mean, I remember in the cartoon, but... I didn't really pay attention until the Fantastic Four movie came out. What was that, 2007, 2008, somewhere around there? Mm-hmm. And that was voiced by Lawrence Fishburne. The Silver Surfer was voiced by Lawrence Fishburne. So I'm thinking, what was Lawrence Fishburne doing at that time in November 1990? So I was looking it up. Two months prior, the movie King of New York came out, Oh, yeah, which starred Christopher Walken. And uh, he was also in that movie as well. And I bet he was either in the, in the midst of basking in the glory of how well that film did around that time, or he was about to start filming his pivotal role as Furious Styles in the groundbreaking movie Boys in the Hood, which came out the following year. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. just a little bit of history about that. And personally, what was going on with me around that time, uh, I was a freshman in high school. I was just concerned about playing basketball and Playing bass drum in the marching band. That was all I was doing and playing video games. <laughs> that was it. Very cool. Jared, what's your memories, thoughts? Well, I was really big into comics. And I was also into video games. And when I would see 
the two come together, I get very excited. We've talked about the Punisher game, which came out about the same time. We've done that one on this show. Mm-hmm. So this kind of fell in that category. It was like, oh, I want this game. It's a it's a comic book video game. You know, this is a this was something we hadn't really experienced for you. I mean, they had the Amazing Spider-Man game on the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. You know, but this was this was the Nintendo era, and, and, and Nintendo was blossoming, and comics were blossoming. That's my memory of it. It's just those kind of those two things colliding in a wonderful way and wanting this game so bad and then not knowing when you're a kid, we have no internet, right? So we didn't know it was going to be hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we had no idea. So, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of what I, I remember about it. It's just living in North Carolina at the time and just being excited about Nintendo and comics. So this was a sweet spot for me, even though I, I didn't, I didn't know it, was, it wasn't going to be so sweet. Uh, later on now i didn't actually get this game or play this game because you know games were expensive back then yeah. kind of pick and, choose. Mm-hmm. and I, I was never a game renter i was just a game buyer so i didn't really acquire this game until sometime within the last 20 years or so then you know thanks to the internet it's notoriety kind of kind of sure but yeah. as far as in november 90 just yeah video games and comics man but you pet well before we get to pat i did want to say something though i think i recall seeing this game at like the local rental store sure but I would pass on it because it wasn't made by LGN. I had no idea who Software uh, Creations was. Okay. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Software Creations? I'm not reading this. this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, Pat, you know, go ahead. <laughs> no, but that does bring up a good memory of mine from back then. November 1990, this is my senior year of high school. So, like I said, you know, the music. The movies uh, bring me back to that time. You know, I had uh, Nintendo was able to get a NES eventually. And so playing it, it reminds me of the heydays of the beginning of video games like this. You were able to go to the video store and rent it like a, a year or so before that we were able to rent an actual NES, you know, and you could rent that for 15, $10 a night or something, whatever, something like that, that you could rent it and then take it home and, and plug it in and hook it up to that coax cable. So, you know, or the two antenna things on that you had to do when it came with it. <laughs> you know, I really enjoyed that. I think I did rent a few games here and there, you know, to kind of try them out first to see if there's something I like or not. But I was more into like the RPGs, more storytelling things. I wasn't into the big shooting games like this. So this probably saw it on the shelf, but then go, yeah, this is not for me. Side scroller thing like that. It had to be like Final Fantasy or or some of those other, you know, RPG. Dragon Warrior was big, too, back then. You know, of course, Super Mario, as we mentioned, was big back then, though, too. But, yeah, that that's, brings back a good memory, Joe, of just being able to go and looking at the rental store. Yep. And that you could do that at that time. It was cool. Well, all right. With that, it's time to wrap up the show. But before we do that, we're going to be... Uh, Thrilled as always to kick off these comments and special shout outs. And uh, well, let's check in on our Crusaders Club members. These are the fine folks that have joined our crusade. They enjoy early access to special long box episodes, voting on show content, and so much more. These are the folks reaping the benefits and giving some much appreciated support to the show. Angelica Wolf. Auburn Elvis. Bill Bear. Blast it or stash it. Braxton Underwood. Captain Entropy. Clinton Robinson. 
good guy. Dave Collins, codename Battlewagon. Battlewagon. Gary Viola. Gerald Green. Jason King. Jeremy L. Jim Jarman. Joe Tomas? Is that how I don't know. <laughs> Nate Minus. Joe Zeman. He's the other half. Oh, it's the other half. Of Joe Thomas. <laughs> okay. It's our boy Joe November. I'm happy he's on the show. Yeah. John Watson. Jose Puyo. Josh Strickland. MVP, Kathy Bright. Maxwell Traveler. Michael Wagner. Miranda W. B.D. Devins. Paul Hicks. Rick from Jeff and Rick Present. Rob Morgan. Ross Michaud. Ryan Daly. Samantha Maney. Sean Urbanski. Spidey67. Steve Cronin. Tim Price. And Toronto Cop. And as always, if we missed anybody, we apologize. Remember, we record these episodes well in advance release. So if you're a recent edition, we'll add you soon. But if there's a problem, send an email to contact at longboxcrusade.com or give us a call at 707-532-5269. We'll get it straightened out. And if you want to become a Crusaders Club member, just go to patreon.com slash longboxcrusade. You can get all that access for as little as one buck a month. We appreciate the heck out of you. And if you don't have a lot of extra scratch laying around, but you want to help us out here at LBC headquarters, you can always leave a rating or review for the show as well. With that, Joe, why don't you give the folks a friendly reminder of how they can get in touch with us if they want to chat about this show or any of the shows under the Long Box Crusade umbrella. Of course. You can find any of our many fine programs on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and most podcatchers, or directly at www.longboxcrusade.com. We even have a YouTube channel, Longbox Crusade. You can email us at longboxcrusade.com, or hit us up on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at Longbox Crusade. And finally, you can leave us a voicemail at 707-532-5269. That's 707 707- 532-L-B-O-X Longbox. Pick up the phone! <laughs> Pick up the phone! I have to explain that joke to Joe in a minute. I want to thank the team for being here, and here's where you can find us on the internet. Joe, pimp yourself out. Please let us know where we can find your awesome, awesome music. I can be found, uh, you look up Joe November on Instagram, Spotify, Bandcamp, Facebook, TikTok. Pat! Well, Jared, I'm glad you asked. You can find me on the Twitter at Christatos01. Jared? I'm at Yard Sale Artist, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's all at Yard Sale Artist. Or check out my wares at www.theyardsaleartist.com. I don't have any Silver Surfer drawings at this time, but there are plenty of other superheroes to choose from. And we hope to continue to join us as we go on this crusade to play, play them all. The music themes for this show are done by musical genius Joe November. Please check out his SoundCloud at Joseflin99. That's J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-9-9. You will not regret it. I did not think it wise to overwhelm you while your memory was still fragile. So rather than that, I thought it best to assume a temporary form. 